Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Henry Finkelstein, who is CEO, founder of Cannabis Big Data. And I'm excited for this conversation because I think this is one of the areas that the cannabis industry really is kind of going through in terms of maturing and really kind of thinking about from a business point of view. So we're going to talk a little bit about data. We're going to talk about making good business decisions. We're going to learn a little bit about Henry and his business. And uh, with that, Henry, welcome to the program. Thank you, Bruce. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm, I'm very grateful to have this conversation with you Yeah, and likewise. your audience. Yeah. So I always like to start with just learning a little bit about the person. So tell me about your background, professional background, and how you got into cannabis. Like, What's the story? Everyone seems to have a story in this space. <laughs> sure. I'm a data guy through and through. Data entrepreneur, I should say, but, but really a data guy through and through. I have been working in startups for a while. I've done three startup incubators, the last of which was, can well, I did one called Yale Entrepreneurial Institute when I graduated from university. Did one called Lean Startup in the tradition oh, yeah. of... Eric Reese and all those guys. Exactly. Yeah. Eric Reese, uh, Steve Blank, sort of get out the building guys. Yeah. Um, you know, the lean methodology in yep. short. And so I'm a deep acolyte of the lean methodology. And then most recently through Canopy Boulder, uh, in okay. a startup yeah. accelerator focused specifically on ancillary cannabis businesses, software and product, but but also software. Awesome. Um, and so uh, I'm an entrepreneur for sure, yeah. uh, but I've also worked in big corporations doing, frankly, data analytics, yeah. but in various departments. Yeah. I did data for marketing and sales teams. I did data and workflow automation and CRMs. I've done data for UI, UX, and manage the creative side as well, of course. But at the end of the day, the decisions are made by the numbers yeah. in many large organizations. And so I have a lot of experience taking that methodology of a data-driven perspective on 
insert X department mm -hmm. and applying that both through my own experience as a management consultant uh, when I had my own consulting firm for many years, as well as working in larger corporate environments. Yeah. Um, most recently, I worked in the healthcare industry okay. with government contracting, so very comfortable and heavily regulated environments. And of course, you know, to answer the second half of your question of how I came into the cannabis industry, by and large, I see an opportunity. I see a real opportunity. Of course, financially, there's no question about that. And, and folks talk about the green rush and so mm -hmm. on. But if we extend the analogy of the green rush, you know, who made the most money uh, and had the greatest impact on the trajectory of the gold rush? And I'll yeah. give you a hint, it wasn't the Panners. <laughs> Levi's. <laughs> Levi Strauss, exactly. <laughs> Levi's. Because yeah. every Panner needs a pair of jeans, yeah. but not every Panner strikes gold. Yeah. So too, I believe, about the cannabis industry. Uh, if we think of all of the licensed cannabis businesses that are panning for gold right now, a lot of them are going to strike it because we're early on in this industry. But at the same time, not every Panner strikes gold, but every Panner needs a pan. And so every two cannabis company, both licensed and ancillary, needs yeah. a data-driven methodology for how to make decisions. And that's why we started this company. That's how I got into this industry. I saw an opportunity to apply a data toolkit to a budding industry, so to speak. <laughs> and in that way, found a, a hole as it related to data from an operational standpoint, the day-to-day -day toolkit. What's yeah. my cost per gram? What's my batch yield for manufacturing? What's my unit margins across the industry or across the location yeah. and so on? These types of day-to-day -day questions, it just, there isn't a toolkit yet for that in the cannabis industry until we started Cannabis Big Data. Yeah. So, and, and talk to me more about toolkit. So when you talk about data toolkit, what are you talking about actually building or providing? Absolutely. So Cannabis Big Data is a connect the data dots model. Okay. So our software plugs into any data source, seat to sale, point of sale, accounting, batch logs, hardware sensors, internal spreadsheets, custom databases. Mm -hmm. I mean, you name it, we'll take it. We pull all of that information into a central data warehouse, mm -hmm. organize it, and then add a visualization layer for reporting and dashboarding so that it's simple, intuitive, and actionable. That's yeah. really the bottom line. That's what we provide. We provide actionable, data-driven insights from all the information in your organization. And the reason I say a toolkit, you know, in my mind, data is not the answer. It's a hammer. It's mm. a better yeah. hammer. It's a way to build your empire. Yeah. And can a very talented craftsperson or carpenter build a home with a shoe and a box of nails? Yeah, if they're good enough, absolutely. Yeah. Will they build a better, stronger house with a really solid hammer? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in that way, a data toolkit is just that. It is a better hammer to build your empire. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing I find about kind of data or, uh, you know, taking kind of this data view of uh, businesses and processes and things like that is it always kind of starts with, well, what decisions are you trying to make? <laughs> How do you approach this when, when, when you're working with companies on you know, using data to make better, I think, you know, actionable insights, you know, to make better decisions. What's the process that you use? Or, you know, when a company comes to you saying, hey, look, we've got all this data, we're trying to, we're trying to do something with it. How do you, how do you start? Like, where, where's the first step in organizing all this? Yeah, you nailed it, Bruce. And you hit the, you, you really 
outlined one of the key questions. And in fact, you answered it in your question. Um, <laughs> you asked us where we start because it's so important to know what the goal or objective of the business is. Yeah. And that's exactly where we start by asking about the goal or objective of the business. Yeah. That is number one thing. And you know, I always say that we do not expect our clients to be technical by any stretch of the imagination. And in fact, we do all of the technical work specifically so that we can have a plain English conversation. Yeah. And the data toolkit, much like the hammer analogy, I often bring up the concept of a bright spotlight. Data as a tool is a bright spotlight. It doesn't tell you what to do. It just shines light on the path and shows you the dark spots and the bright spots within your own organization. And more often than not, the answer reveals itself as a function of what the core objectives are yeah. and what you now see given the data. Yeah. Even if what you see is that you need to clean up the data, that in and of itself is something to see within an organization. Yeah. And so oftentimes when folks come to us and say, oh, I'd like a proposal and I'd like this module and that module and all these things, I always come back and say, great, absolutely. We'll build whatever you're asking for. But first and foremost, wave a magic wand. Tomorrow you wake up, everything is perfect in your organization. Everything is as perfect yeah. as you can imagine it. Walk me through your day. And what's different from what you have today? And that magic wand exercise really provides a clear perspective on the gap between what you are today and what you want to be tomorrow. Yeah. And data can help plot the map. It can be a navigational system from here to there. But really, at the end of the day, the business operators are the folks that are driving that that distance. Yeah, I like that. I was one of the things I always say as a coach that I'm a I'm a flashlight, not a hammer. Right. right. I'm going to help you help you shine light. And it may be slightly uncomfortable, but, you know, sunlight is the best uh, cure for most situations. You know, if we can figure out what to focus on, that's going to drive our attention and, and it's going to drive our, our process. So I'm totally on board with, with that approach. <laughs> what, uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, abstractly, I get the, you know, figure out what questions you need to find answers to, to make better yeah. decisions. Therefore, we start sure. looking at the data. What literally, I guess, what data are you finding in the cannabis space as being, you know, kind of relevant or pertinent to the kind of questions that cannabis yeah. business leaders are trying to manage or trying to come up with insights from? Yeah, absolutely. As it relates to cultivations, uh -huh. one of the key questions is yield. Yeah. What is a given strain or cultivar of a plant yielding. And you might normalize that by square footage, by kilowatt, by number of plants, by whatever metric is most relevant in your organization. Mm -hmm. But on some very basic level, revenue is tied to production output. Yeah. And as such, folks are really tracking production output. If you're going one step higher in the order of sophistication, yeah. you might collate that against your cost structures to really identify a cost per gram of yes. cultivation. You might also think about other resource expenditures like waste. If social impact or carbon footprint is an issue, you might think about energy utilization. Yeah. Uh, you might think about air quality considerations and so on. As you get sort of more and more sophisticated in the scope of data overlay, mm -hmm. you might also have sensors, automated sensors or manual sensors for light, humidity, pH, other environmental considerations. And of course, as part of the throughput, you're certainly tracking cannabinoid profiles, THC, CBD, perhaps even terpene levels. So cultivations tend to start with a somewhat narrow focus as it relates to revenue. Yeah. And as they get more comfortable with that, they can sort of build out from there. 
Yeah. Um, manufacturing has a similar trajectory and thought process. We start with throughput efficiency yields. How much product am I making? Oftentimes normalized by the amount of raw material required to make that final yeah. number of units output. If we go one order further in the circle of mm-hmm. onion of consideration, uh, we can think about the cost structures around that production throughput. We might also think about labor other consumable inventory considerations, and so on. We get further and further out. Market-level demand trends, sales trends from the wholesale accounts, and so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always say, you know, can- cannabis is a business just like any other business. So there's a lot of things you can learn just from the business fundamentals. And obviously, then there's a whole bunch of specific things around, you know, the cannabis business, both from uh, de- dealing with you know, the agricultural side of it. And then also the sort of the regulation and the kind of legal and side retail of is exactly like retail, you yeah. know, like think of any gap store and it tracks largely the same metrics that you would expect uh, a cannabis retail store yeah. with some regulatory additions to that, but yeah. largely the same sort of metrics. Yeah. But I think to answer a subtext in your question, yeah. Bruce, around where should folks be putting their attention or where are we seeing a gap in attention in this industry? And I think one of the areas that that we're seeing a real friction and pain point Mm -hmm. around understanding the true scope of the metrics is around margins. Yeah, okay. And that largely relates to some of the regulatory complexity around taxation and 280E. Okay. And charts of accounts are not always set up in a traditional operational concept. Yeah. Oftentimes they're set up with a different function in mind. And as such, true operators that are focused on business concepts that come from other industries or have more traditional gap accounting or more traditional accounting practices that really help them drill into unit costing, that is hard in this industry. To really have a true unit cost that is fully reflective of all the considerations requires a lot of thought and diligence at the data architecture level that certainly we provide, but that very few organizations have the mental and resource bandwidth to tackle in the way that it truly needs to be to get to the drill down per penny, per skew, per unit, per batch level that this industry will invariably get to within the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that one of the um, the biggest challenges I think I find it in most businesses that I come in and work with is the, you know, the, the chart of accounts is typically set up for taxation purposes, you know, and yep. if the accountant running end of year, you know, tax liability, not to really help you develop insight around what's working and what's not working in your side of your business. So kind of getting yep. getting uh, an operational chart of account set up is is can usually be a, a first task. And then, yeah, I mean, I think it's um, this whole idea of cohort analysis, you know, is very similar. I mean, we use, we use it in the software side a lot and the software as a service, you know, it applies to the cannabis space in terms of the groves and understanding, well, you know, the, the, the grow that you started, you know, four months ago, you know, has, has a life cycle and I need to understand well, what did that grow kind of experience, you know, versus the next grow and, and how do I really analyze on my per batch or per per cohort, you know, what worked and what didn't because it's very easy to kind of get that askew to see a result and kind of assign it or attribute it to the wrong set of initial criteria or initial circumstances that caused that result. And so teasing that apart, I think, is one of the bigger challenges from a, just kind of an operational analysis point of view. And it sounds like that with, with good data, uh, I certainly find that it makes it much easier. Can I, actually, I can associate those results to the different timeframes. Bruce, I'd love to dig into that just for, yeah, just for a second. I don't yeah. mean to derail your questions. No, that's good. Good data. Good data. You know, that's 
it's such a subjective concept of what good data is. And, and a lot of people think that clean data is good data. And in some ways, perhaps, but, but I really want to be careful there for yourself and all the listeners, because that's a subjective term that I sort of reject okay. on a qualitative level. Yeah. To me, the only relevant data is actionable. Totally. Can I do something with that information? Yeah. Yeah. Cause if not, it's worse than useless. It's distracting. Yeah. And it takes my attention away from that which I do have agency and action over. And if it's not presented to me in a format that is actionable, the underlying data might be totally valid, but the presentation layer is not actionable. And as such, the reporting sucks, but the data itself is just as good as any other. And so I always try to tease that out a little bit because you know, so many people have a negative emotional experience of the concept of data, yeah. like with a capital D, the yeah. way they have a negative emotional experience with math yeah. and a capital M. And like that one algebra teacher that was a total asshole and gave me a D <laughs> on that quiz when I really should have done just fine. And yeah. now I hate math for the rest of my life. And I get it. And, and that's fine. But but one of, one of the beautiful things I think about the trajectory of data science and data toolkits outside of the cannabis industry and why I was so excited to start a data company in the cannabis industry as it relates to the democratization of data and making it more accessible vis-a-vis better ways to see, understand, and internalize the natural intuitive insights of a data set as a function of just having a better window into that pool of wisdom and information. And so we are in the business of making it much more simple, much more intuitive, and ultimately what's the most important, actionable data. To us, that's what quote unquote good data is. It's when we can do something and make money or stress less. Really, that's what we're trying to accomplish. Make more money or stress less doing exactly what we're doing today. And if we can accomplish either or both of those, then we're in a good place. Yeah, I I think that's an excellent point because I think it is, it's easy to get sucked into kind of the allure of just more data. If I have more data, like somehow that's better. And I always, you know, it's got to be, it's got to help you make a better decision. Right. And, and if it's yep. not helping you make a des- better decision or you can't make any any better of a decision with more data, then you've kind of reached the you've reached the bounds of your yep. uh, of your effort there. Talk to me a little bit about kind of internal versus external data. I mean, I think a lot of people sort of dive into the business and they start, you know, looking at the databases and the things that they have, the reports, the spreadsheets and stuff. Where do you see opportunities to actually bring in, you know, third party or external data sets as part of this mm-hmm. process? Because I think that's that's oftentimes where I've seen some really interesting insights is when you actually actually bring third party or or external stuff into that analysis. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And I think that's a a line in the sand that a lot of folks conflate or or sort of mix up and it it might be worth teasing out a little bit. The difference between internal and external data, at least as, as it relates to our vocabulary, is the concept of data that's generated within your four walls of your business, so to speak, your sales numbers, your accounting numbers, your manufacturing numbers, your cultivation and so on, your customers, your basket sizes and so on. And then external data would be sort of market level trending. Uh, If you get a report from New Frontier or BDS Analytics or Headset or Cannabis Benchmarks, or there's a lot of great companies out there. Brightfield Group is another one that's worth mentioning. There's a lot of great cannabis data companies out there that publish the LeafLink just published another sort of wholesale spot pricing report. These are great companies that are doing awesome work in that market level 
analysis standpoint, but that's different than being internal. And to answer the question around when is internal versus external data relevant, I find that external data is really good for understanding trends, general trends around what's happening around you, um, but it doesn't always inform exactly what the best choice is for you. Concentrates may be on the up and up as a general market, but your part of town might be particularly keen on topicals. And so your topicals are growing way faster and really you should be serving your customers and their needs recognizing and understanding what your place is in the greater context of the industry at large but i I find that there's often a reach for external metrics and and sort of market level trends to drive internal decisions Mm -hmm. before folks have really grokked and and internalized their own experience first and foremost and that i find can create tension and misalignment in the easiest path. Because if you really understand your own world first, before you compare it to the outside world, it it can yield a lot greater insight and value from understanding the outside experience because you've reflected on the inside experience. Yeah, that's interesting. I I would agree. I mean, I think one thing that I've always found is that, uh, you know, you exist with inside of a market. So I think it is important, you know, if your sales are up 50%, oh, great. Well, if the market is up 200%, you know, that's a different story. (laughs) Like you exist within within a context, but you're right. I think that understanding, it's easy to get overly summarize, I guess, the, the kind of the world using this big data, using the, the data that's out there and from third parties and forget to really take a look at your specific situation and the, in the micro environment that you're working in and, and making sure that, that you know, you, you need to operate with your customers and your clients and making good decisions at that level. So, yeah, I think that's, I think that's smart. I think that makes sense. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example, Bruce, just sure. a yes and on, on what you're saying. I love it. Um, as it relates to, to forecasting exercises, we always, when we do, you know, we have a forecasting module for each of the verticals. Mm-hmm. Whenever we go into a forecasting exercise to really model out expectation for a business, it always starts with a core nugget of past experience of historical. Yeah. But we we also know that in the cannabis industry, the only constant is change. Yeah, exactly. Re- regulations change, competitors change, vendors change, products change, everything changes always. You can't expect it to stay still. So yes, you want to start with last year, last month, but we also know that because everything is constantly changing, last year and last month is only directionally accurate yeah. for next year and next month. It's not going to be linearly accurate. And so in that way, we want to make sure to start with our experience knowing what was, while also recognizing the greater context of what is and what could be looking ahead. So let me ask about that, because I think that's one thing that I find really, really valuable when I'm working with folks and we're we're going through this kind of forecasting, is I'm a -hmm. a big fan of scenario forecasting, right? So you take four, five, six different, um, you know, potential outcomes, usually looking at highly uncertain variables within the business and and look at what, what happens if, uh, right. how, how do you approach, I, I guess, tell me a little bit about how your tools or, or how you've kind of approached this kind of forecasting and scenario planning, uh, to help businesses, you know, bi- sort of build better strategies or, or better tactics around how they're going to deal with markets. Absolutely. My poor guys hear me say this all the time. <laughs> simple is not easy. Yeah, yeah. We keep it simple. 
But simple is not easy. And what that means for us is having a core set of assumptions that are a either an input as a quantified number, growth rates, certain categories or trends or so on, Mm -hmm. or a quantification of a qualitative concept, changes in strategic leadership, changes in vendor profiles, and so on. Mm -hmm. So we have a set of assumptions that then cascade and drive the modeling exercise. And when we think about scenario modeling, we can dynamically filter and change our assumptions based on whatever core thesis we have around the differential in this scenario as distinct from the last one. And again, anytime we have a view of quote unquote different, then that needs to be in some way quantified in the model vis-a-vis the assumptions that inform and drive the model. And so we create different assumption sheets that then subsequently cascade through to yield different outcomes, which then gives us a range of, okay, in the worst case scenarios in any direction, this is sort of what we can expect to happen in those areas, those arenas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's great. Because I think that's uh, particularly in a market like this, uh, where there are, you know, things that are uncertain and can have a big impact on the business, having some tool to understand, you know, what, what would happen to your business left unchanged and what, you know, reasonable strategic responses are going to be, you know, in those scenarios. It really helps a company weather, weather the storm that, uh, that comes at them. Talk to me a little bit about uh, AI. Do you have any either views, opinions? I mean, you know, there's so much talk out there right now about this artificial intelligence and, you know, feeding learning systems, lots and lots of data and having them spit back to you, you know, this synthesize a higher level, you know, conclusions. What, Mm -hmm. what's your kind of, what's your take? Have you, have you played around with this at all? Have you, is it, is it part of your kind of product roadmap in any way? Yeah. I always laugh on this question because in the spirit of Elon Musk, I don't want to piss off our future leaders, you know? Um, (laughs) I, uh, no, me personally, I feel like there is nothing more powerful than the human intuition. Yeah. Just period. There's yeah. nothing in my world. I do not. And this is, you know, I'm a I'm a data guy by trade. Yeah. I am a technologist by philosophy. We can go into more root spiritual considerations yeah. if you want to get there. <laughs> but on a very basic level, I find that we as humans cannot conceivably program anything as nuanced and and intricate as the human intuition. And the web of interconnectivity of one human connected to another has implications that I I really, on just a root philosophy level, do not believe can be recreated in an artificial network of synthesized robotic concepts. Now, when when we unlock the the algorithm to create consciousness, that's a whole other ball game, and I, I'll punt on that for now. Although it's a fascinating yeah. kind of future dialogue. Beyond the scope of uh, any, yeah, yeah, I don't think we're anywhere near it yet. I think yeah. it is conceivable to stumble upon something that approximates consciousness, and that's both fascinating and terrifying in many many ways. But I'll sort of punt on that for now, yeah. as it relates to the tools that are within reach within the next. I don't know. 20 to 50 years, at least as far as my futurist mind can grok them, I feel like the human intuition is incomparable and insurmountable, period. I believe that fully. And if that's the case, I also equally believe that the human intuition is only as powerful as the inputs into that information, right? It's it's its own meta algorithm, so to speak. It's something that connects all the pieces in ways that we still don't fully understand yet. And If that's the case, if you have a filter or an inaccurate set of inputs into the intuitive process, 
it stands to reason you would have a skewed output. And yeah. in, in that way, increasing the accuracy and speed of processing of information into the intuitive engine that is the human consciousness is the most and the most powerful way, the most important and the most powerful way to generate decision to maximize yeah. value. Yeah, I like that. And so kind of a data, data. Is a tool to get there. We yeah. can use the machines for what they're good at, not to be classist, so to speak, yeah. but, but there's just a set of functions that machines do way better yeah, than exactly. we can do with our machine. But our machine is capable of things that no mechanical component can can create. And so I see a synthesis and a, and a working together yeah. more so than I see a division in that way. Yeah, it's kind of a, a data-augmented uh, human intelligence Absolutely. You know, to make better, faster. Uh, just give us a little insight on where your uh, kind of product roadmap is going. Like, What are things that you have kind of in the works that you're working on kind of developing and launching to help businesses in this space? Yeah, so a couple of things that we've recently launched that are pretty badass uh, yeah. and, and have been getting some good acclaim. We recently launched an inventory management module for licensed retailers that folk met at and rec uh -huh. that focuses one part on understanding inventory management what products do we reorder when yes. from what vendors what's our opportunity cost of having a stock out event yep. some really and then of course how many what do we need to reorder so that we can have the desired inventory on hand? Right, some of these basic functions and in other industries that sort of <laughs> <isn't>, <laughs> it's uh, like one on one inventory management for for most other companies, but it's it's fascinating. It's just it's still yeah. happening. One of my favorite uh, uh, simulations to run is the beer game. Uh, uh -huh. You know, really helping helping leadership teams understand you know the 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 effect, the bullwhip effect of of inventory ordering and lag and uh, yeah, out of totally. stock and things like that. But it's I think it's great that you've got actually some systems that are doing this because I think that uh, you know it it it's costly. You know, if they don't get this stuff right, um, and it's sometimes not intuitive. Sometimes it's not they don't like without the data to kind of see uh, the difference on those stuff. It's 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 tough to it's tough to intuitively get it uh, without some of the data analysis. So. Absolutely. Cool. I, I should actually, thank you. Well, let me take a step back and yeah. give you just one thread of, of what we're sort of reaching for. And then I think the rest of all of the examples will make sense. Yeah. One thing we realized, because myself and my co-founders, we're all sort of tech heads, we're all data yeah. guys from various industries and companies, large scale companies. And, and so all of us sort of have lived the value and power of data. Mm -hmm. But what we realized when we started this company is that it's not as self-intuitive, self-evident yeah. to business owners here as it is in other industries. Yep. And that's totally okay. And so our core function, we believe, is to help educate this yeah. marketplace around what, where data has value and how it can be helpful. And frankly, where it doesn't have value mm -hmm. so that you can focus on the relevant actionable pieces and let go of the attachment or the, or yeah. the focus on all this other stuff that's just noise in the system. Yeah. And so we started this team, the Research Outreach and Insights team, ROI team. And the whole purpose of the ROI team is to add value by having conversations, yeah. you know, helping folks get it. So we have this inventory lunch and learn where we share best practices around cannabis inventory management. No sales, no gimmicks, no nothing. Just really, we bring lunch, we share with you best practices. If you learned, awesome. You give us a high five and we say thank you, good luck. Mm -hmm. So again, these types of concepts, and we have many ROI campaigns that we're staging over the course of 2019 to help educate and inform the market around areas where data can help 
soften and, yeah. and ease in the path of making business decisions in a qualified and, and profitable format. And so one of the questions we get all the time, as you know, I'm sure you've heard this pain point as well, is around the POSs. Yeah. What's the best POS for my specific use case? Yeah. Well, I think there's over 40 distinct yeah. POSs now in the marketplace focused yeah. on messaging something around cannabis. Golly, of course they're struggling to find the one that's relevant for them. And so we're putting together this POS guide to help businesses understand sort of different POSs have different pros and cons. Yeah. Which ones are most relevant to you? Not that anyone is the best per se, but they all have the things they do well and the things that aren't their core skill set, their yeah. core function set. And so knowing those more and so on. We've got campaigns for manufacturers, for cultivators. We've got a really interesting run, one around sustainability. Hmm. So really, the entire product roadmap is geared towards what we hear as pain points of the customer, yeah, of the end users in the industry. Yeah. The lean methodology, right? You know, the yeah. feedback from the people that are actually in the yeah. field doing go the, the... Go to the Gimba, see what's going on, see what the problems exactly. are. Yeah. Exactly. I love it. So Henry, if, if people want to find out more about you, about Cannabis Big Data, some of the, the tool sets, the toolkits that you've developed, um, yeah, what's absolutely. the best way to get more information? Yeah, uh, really our website is a great place to start, www.cannabisbigdata.co, like okay. Colorado, yeah. .co. Uh, we're based out of Boulder, Colorado. You can email me directly, henry, H-E-N-R-Y, at cannabisbigdata.co. You can also schedule a free data consultation on our website. There's a resources section, blogs. Really, there's a lot of ways to get engaged and and click into gear as well. Perfect. And I'll make sure that uh, those links and your email address is all in the show notes so people can get a hold of you. Uh, And I hear that you're uh, you're doing a little fundraising uh, in, in 2019 here. Yeah, absolutely. We're doing our Series A. We already closed our Series C back in 2017, uh-huh. uh, built out and hit some core milestones in 2018. So we're opening our Series A round now uh, in awesome. 2019. And and if you're interested in that, just go ahead and give me an email, Henry at Cannabis Big Data. Happy to uh, connect with anyone that's yeah. interested on the investor side of the equation. Yeah, good. I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how that goes. I think that you've got a, a great angle in this industry right now. So I don't think you'll have a huge problem, but uh, I'm curious Thank to you. see who uh, that, gets involved. Uh, Henry, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great conversation. I've learned a lot and a huge amount of value for the folks listening here. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Bruce. Really appreciate being on the call. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at Thinking Out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.